Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Next Tuesday, many listeners will vote for St. Louis County Executive or St. Louis Circuit Attorney and St. Louis Treasurer, as well as legislative positions. In the city and county, at least, the Democratic primary generally decides the ultimate winner. These high-profile races will have a big impact on local governance. But the most important vote you cast next week may actually be on the question of Medicaid expansion. It's Amendment 2 on ballots statewide. Both business groups and the healthcare industry have largely endorsed the measure, while some fiscal conservatives have raised concern. We'll talk about the economic impact in just a bit. But first, we wanted to talk to someone on the front lines of healthcare. Dr. Tim Eberlein is the director of the Siteman Cancer Center and chair of the Department of Surgery at Washington University, and he's here here to share his perspective. Dr. Eberlein, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. Good to be here. Now, you've become an outspoken proponent of Medicaid expansion in Missouri. Why is that? Well, I've had the opportunity to uh, personally care for patients who are hardworking Missourians and who face a stark contrast of either feeding their family or getting health care. And uh, that's, a, that's a pretty stark contrast when you stop and think about uh, people who are playing by the rules and working hard and uh, minding their own business. These are not quote-unquote freeloaders. These are people who are trying to do everything right, and you're saying they still have to make those kind of choices. Absolutely. And, and you know, if you look at, at Missouri, uh, Missouri has some of the worst uh, state statistics in terms of incidence and mortality. So in all 50 states of the United States, there are approximately 3,000 counties. And if you were to rank those counties by mortality due to cancer, four of the top six counties in the entire United States of America are here in Missouri. Hmm. And if you look at the at the southern uh, southeastern portion of Missouri along the Mississippi River, that is the hottest spot for colorectal cancer, late stage presentation, and mortality. Again, in all of the United States of America. When you talk about late stage presentation, break that down for those of us who aren't in um, involved in healthcare. How would something like that be changed? Uh, by something like having more Medicaid coverage? Well, it's interesting uh, that you bring that up. If you look at the 37 states that have expanded Medicaid, uh, there is a lot of data, particularly, for example, from the Kaiser Family Foundation, that has looked at incidence of cancer and late-stage presentation. Late-stage means that the tumor has spread to other organs or other parts of a patient's body. And obviously, that means that it is going to be, at best, more expensive and much more invasive to be able to care for that patient. So it's intuitively obvious that if we have an early-stage presentation of cancer, for example, small breast cancer, it can easily be treated, and the likelihood of curing a patient is extraordinarily high. Hmm. And so Kaiser Foundation has found that in states that have expanded Medicaid, both of those statistics have improved. That is, patients present 
with earlier stage disease because they have access to screening modalities and prevention, and their mortality due to cancer is reduced. So it's a better it's a better aspect for the people who live and work in Missouri. So you talked about your patients having to choose between uh, getting treatment for a health problem or getting food. Is it your sense that some of these people, if they had just chosen uh, to deal with a health care problem earlier rather than putting it off, making a choice of something like food instead, that their cancer would have been caught so much earlier? Well, that's theoretically possible, you know, that, uh, of course, you see somebody who comes in and it's tragic in 2020 that a person comes in with, say, metastatic uh, breast cancer or metastatic colon cancer, and it's because they haven't had access to screening modalities and prevention modalities that you and I and other people have easy access to. And and so th- that just makes it much more difficult. And most of these individuals are people who work. They work, however, in low-paying jobs where they don't have access to health insurance, and so they don't access the prevention strategies and the screening strategies that you or I may be able to access. Hmm. So looking at the people you treat, do you have a sense of whether a lot of them would now be covered under the terms of this amendment, too, that we're looking at Tuesday? They would fall under this this uh, Medicaid expansion umbrella. Uh, absolutely. You know, uh, Barnes-Jewish Hospital and Siteman Cancer Center is a, a safety net organization. So we tend to uh, care for a lot of patients who are under uh, insured or have no insurance. Last year, Siteman Cancer Center provided almost $50 million of free care to patients, cancer patients. Um, and and that's because of the number of individuals who did not meet eligibility criteria for Medicaid or uh, Medicare. So what would you say to those who'd say, well, this isn't necessarily about saving money, it's about shifting costs, basically shifting the burden from hospitals like yours, which can subsidize this care by charging more to higher income patients who have fancy insurance plans, um, and then shifting that cost to the state, which, let's face it, uh, they're in a real budget crunch all the time. Uh, Is that a fair argument for people to make against this? Well, I I personally think it's actually a pretty bogus argument. Uh, And the reason is that if you look at all of the states where there has been Medicaid expansion, in fact, the program is basically paid for itself. (laughs) And so uh, what ends up happening is with expansion of Medicaid, there'll be an increase in the reimbursement rate by federal tax dollars. So these are tax dollars that Missourians have already paid. And they go to the federal government, and right now they're going to California and they're going to other states where there has been Medicaid expansion. They're not coming back to Missouri. So this would bring those dollars back here. Correct. And so not only would those dollars come back, but there would be a higher reimbursement rate for the current patients who meet 
Medicaid or Medicare uh, reimbursement. And so the program would actually pay for itself uh, and there would be a reduction in cost in the late stage presentation of cancer or, for example, the person with a chronic disease such as diabetes, a person who's working on their feet all day long and they get a diabetic foot ulcer, and that can not only lead to very costly and uh, long-term medical interventions, but may result in an amputation, which is further going to jeopardize their employability. Mm -hmm. So in addition to, as you say, this paying for itself under what these other states have seen, it really would eliminate the need for some care that's, that's currently happening just because people are putting things off too long. Correct. And, and, and let me just add another, another comment that uh, while I uh, can, you know, there's been uh, a question of, well, gee, is this going to allow illegal immigrants to receive federal dollars and state dollars of support? You know, every medical institution, as a provider, we have very strict state and federal rules for eligibility for Medicaid and for Medicare. And not only are there severe penalties uh, in terms of uh, financial and or uh, risk of uh, imprisonment, but also the loss of CMS certification. Hmm. And there is no institution in the world Uh, that is going to jeopardize that by putting illegal immigrants on Medicaid rolls. I mean, that is just a bogus kind of uh, comment. And and Dr. Aberline, I'm I'm very glad you brought that up because there was a major mailer that apparently went out in the last couple days. People seem to have just recently received this. Um, And this mailer suggested that undocumented immigrants uh, could benefit if this thing goes through. And you're saying from the perspective of somebody who deals with patients at the hospital every day, that is just not something that a hospital would risk. Absolutely not. I mean, you know, we may care for those patients, and we do, uh, if they have a, a acute medical problem, but they are not eligible for Medicaid. And so, uh, and there are very strict eligibility criteria. We all in our institutions have a whole cadre of individuals who check and double check eligibility criteria for anybody that uh, uh, is imposed on uh, Medicaid or Medicare uh, roles for reimbursement. And so uh, we have checks and balances in all of our institutions to assure that we meet those federal and state guidelines. Well, Dr. Tim Eberlein, I want to thank you so much for setting the record straight on that um, in response to that mailer, and also thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's a real pleasure, and thank you very much for inviting me. And Dr. Everline, again, is the director of the Siteman Cancer Center and chair of the Department of Surgery at Washington University. Coming up, we're going to talk to experts who have two different perspectives on the economics of Medicaid expansion, so please stay tuned for that. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. 
Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Missouri is one of just 13 states that have not yet agreed to expand Medicaid coverage in the way voters are being asked to do next week. Some states did it years ago, so we have plenty of examples of how this could play out. The catch is that there are different ways of interpreting how it's played out, and our guests today have different perspectives on what expansion could mean for Missouri's bottom line. The first is Ryan Barker. He's the vice president of strategic initiatives for the Missouri Foundation for Health. Ryan, welcome. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined today by Patrick Ishmael. He's the Director of Government Accountability for the Show Me Institute. Patrick, welcome. Thank you. Now, Patrick, I want to start with you because just before the break, we heard from Dr. Tim Eberlein, the director of the Siteman Cancer Center, and he made two main arguments. He basically says that this expansion could pay for itself, and he says that overall this would save money because getting care earlier means care that's less extensive, and therefore it's less expensive. I'd like to hear you just address briefly those two arguments. Would you concede either point on his part? No, I wouldn't. And, you know, it would be great if spending more money saved us money, but when you look at the projections for Medicaid expansion here in the state of Missouri, I think one of the the big arguments came from a study from Washington University that assumed a lot of things that weren't actually true. Among them, the the actual enrollment that they're expecting is lower than what the state expects. Uh, The cost per beneficiary is lower than what the state expects. And not only that, that study presumes that you can move uh, a, a population called uh, uh, permanently and totally disabled into the new population that's compensated at a higher rate to the state. And so all the savings that are presumed in that study are just plainly wrong. And when you correct for that, it actually is going to cost the state about $200 million a year. And because the state has to balance its budget, there are, there are basically two considerations that we have to keep in mind here. One, the Medicaid population for those who are in a traditional position, folks who are poor, folks who are vulnerable. If we're spending money on this new population, it has to come from someplace, it could come from them, or it could come from someplace else in the budget, including our public schools. It could come from infrastructure. It could come from all sorts of other budget priorities. And I think that's one thing that folks have to keep in mind is that none of this is free money. This isn't a question of getting tax dollars back to the state because this is all deficit and debt spending. This is not anything that we paid into it. And Missouri is already a net recipient. And the money that we've put into the pot isn't going to other states. I was surprised to hear Dr. Eberlein say that because that's simply not how the Medicaid program works. Okay. Well, Ryan Barker, I know you have a very different perspective on this. Uh, Ryan, again, is with the Missouri Foundation for Health. What would you say in response to what Patrick just outlined here? Yeah, let me first say the Missouri Foundation for Health sponsored that study at WashU. So um, just to sort of go through Patrick's points, the difference in enrollment of, of what the state estimated in WashU, it was 230,000 compared to 280,000. Yes, that's some difference, but but it's, it, it is an estimate at this point. Um, but I do want to address that cost um, to benefit the per beneficiary. So the state did an estimate they used a contracting firm. Um, and first, let me say that contracting firm did not even look at any savings that would be generated by Medicaid expansion. But that contracting firm also said that this new expansion population would be medically frail, which is just which is just incorrect. We're talking about 80, 90 percent of people that are would be eligible for Medicaid expansion are already working. So these are working folks. Um, some of them may have some health conditions that they've been putting off getting care for, but they are in no way medically frail. And so the estimate of cost per person is is much closer to WashU's estimate than what the state put out. 
about. And then finally, it, it, it's just patently false that WashU says that uh, they would move the entire uh, disabled population into the expansion. Um, they are saying part of that population would move into expansion. Anybody that is eligible for both Medicaid and Medicare, we call dual eligibles, um, and they would not change. They would stay in the disabled category. What we're talking about is people who may apply for disability um, in Missouri. They get Medicaid for a little bit, but they have to go through a very rigorous process, and they come on and off of Medicaid all the time. If we expand Medicaid, it's a much easier application for these new populations, um, and they would most likely choose to enroll. Many of these consumers would choose to enroll in a different category where, where they don't um, where they don't have to go through a rigorous medical exam. Ryan, so when Patrick says this could cost the state $200 million and, and choices uh, will have to be made, um, is there a different number that you're working with? Will there be a cost to the state of Missouri? No. So what the WashU study found is that actually in the first year of implementation, it would stay, save the state about $40 million in general revenue. Um, and let me say, in June, the New England Journal of Medicine published an article that looked at states that have expanded Medicaid. Um, and what they found was Medicaid expansion did not impact the state budgets in terms of having to reduce funding for transportation or education or economic development. Um, states just have not seen that happen. Patrick, I'm going to go to you in a sec. But first, I do want to invite you if you're listening to this conversation and you have questions for either of these um, experts, we want to invite you to join us. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air. Um, and also, if you've had a personal experience where you'd be affected one way or another, we'd love to hear from you. Patrick, Ryan said a couple things. The one I was most interested in is the experience in the other states who have done this. Has anyone else ended up developing such a big hole in their budget as you're looking at Missouri facing here in your study? Well, one is New York, and New York has uh, a Medicaid program that in the last year or so had an audit from the Inspector General, and what they found was that what New York was trying to do was try to do exactly what Missouri uh, in, in WashU study would try to do, which is move people from the, the permanently and totally disabled population into this expanded population. And what uh, New York found out from the federal government was that that is illegal. And so if you look at all the projections state by state about how much these programs would cost the state, how much it's going to cost overall, including federal funds, it has always exceeded those estimates. And right now, you know, as a country, we're spending over half a trillion dollars a year on our Medicaid programs. In the state of Missouri, about 40% of our budget goes toward the Medicaid program. One in seven people in this state are covered under Medicaid. And what we, we're going to have to decide at some point is, is the state of Missouri a government that sometimes provides health care services, or is it a health care service provider that sometimes governs? And if we want to make sure that this program is going to our most vulnerable people, we need to focus on making the program good for them and effective for them and increase access for them. Because when we add 300,000 people or 250,000, whatever your number is uh, within that band, when you add that number of people to the program, that puts pressure on every other priority within the Medicaid program and outside of it. I want to go to the phone lines. Tina is calling from St. Louis. Um, Tina, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Um, I just wanted to talk about back in uh, 2008, I was laid off from my job, and I had been on unemployment, but then the unemployment tiers ran out. And then when they um, rolled out Obamacare, when I went to go apply for um, 
health care, I was told to go to my state's uh, Medicaid program. But as it turned out, since I was in my mid-50s and I hadn't been able to find a job, um, I didn't qualify for Missouri had voted not to expand Medicaid, mm. and I was in the cracks. I was in between. So um, I wasn't old enough for Medicare, but I didn't have dependent children at home. I had to have dependent children. My children had already been raised, and they were out of the house. So I fell through the cracks, and I couldn't get, um, get health care simply because Missouri had voted not to expand the Medicaid. Tina, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. So it sounds like you would be an enthusiastic yes to this expansion. It would have helped you um, if this had been in place a couple of years ago. Exactly. I would have been one of the people that would be helped, would have been helped if they had voted to expand it. So. Well, Tina, thank you for, for lending your experience to this conversation. I, I appreciate that. Let's go back to the phone lines. Caroline is calling from St. Charles. Um, Caroline, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Yes, thank you for taking my call. My question is, several years ago during the Affordable Care Act, I attended several um, seminars and discussions on how, and one point that came up was that if we don't do this insurance program or Medicaid expansion, these people are just going to go to the insurance um, or to the emergency room, and that would cost a lot more on un what should I say, un- unfunded mm-hmm. or... Um, the hospitals basically have to provide that care there. Yeah, and they're not, they're not, uh, they're not... They're not compensated for yeah. that. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Caroline, that's a great point. And, and Patrick, I guess I'd love to hear your response to that. Um, isn't that super costly for people to have to go to the emergency room because they don't have insurance? Yeah, absolutely. That can be costly. But what we found in other states is that where Medicaid has been expanded, it isn't that emergency room utilization has fallen, it's that it's actually increased. And some of that, I think, is because uh, folks don't necessarily understand how the Medicaid program works once they've entered into it. But, you know, I can speak from experience as a former foster parent that a lot of times what will happen is because those networks are so narrow, what will be advised is that the easiest access is often times the emergency room, even if they're covered under Medicaid. And so, absolutely, we don't want folks to have to go to the most expensive kind of care that is available. We want them to go to someplace that is reliable, that is, has high quality. But unfortunately, what happens with Medicaid expansion isn't that emergency room utilization falls. It oftentimes, and, and most often, uh, ends up increasing uh, that utilization. That's why a lot of uh, one, one thing that uh, states will get are what they call disproportionate share payments. And so those, those payments were supposed to go away because emergency room use was supposed to fall. It didn't. That's why they still, it still remains basically at the levels as they were pre-Medicaid expansion. Uh, it's because emergency room use just isn't dropping. I want to thank Caroline for that question. Ryan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Is, is Patrick explaining this properly and how this is sorted out elsewhere? Um, sort of. We, I mean, we do see uh, initially when Medicaid is expanded in states, we see uh, ER utilization go up, although then it plateaus. There is a lot of, I mean, as, if we, as we heard from the previous caller, Tina, like if people are uninsured, um, they put off care. And, and as the doctor was saying earlier on your show, we just see people wait and wait and wait because they're scared of the cost. So yes, when Medicaid expansion happens, there is an initial 
rush to use the uh, emergency room and get care, but we do see that taper off over time um, and come down. I will say we've we've lost 10 rural hospitals in Missouri in the last 10 years, and most of them have said part of the reason was because we did not expand Medicaid. They Hospitals just cannot afford the number of uninsured folks who are coming through their doors, and with Medicaid expansion, those hospitals are getting reimbursed at Medicaid rates, um, and it, it really helps those hospitals especially in rural Missouri, stay in business. Patrick, in our last few minutes here, I'm wondering, this ongoing coronavirus pandemic, has this affected your perspective on healthcare in the U.S. at all? There's a lot of people saying, man, it, it seems now like it's a terrible idea to tie health insurance to employment in light of the large unemployment that we're seeing. Have you changed your mind on that? Well, I, I actually agree that generally speaking, having your insurance tied to your employment is a really bad idea. And this is a, you know, this goes back to the 1930s and 1940s for why, you know, these days we are still relying on third-party provided insurance, usually through through our, our employers. But, you know, I, I think what coronavirus emphasized to me was that usually when we're talking about reform, we're talking about it, at least at the national level, on the demand side. And really, we should be talking about it, about the supply of it. We need to reduce costs by increasing the supply of doctors, of telemedicine, of uh, expanding scope of practice, uh, increasing license reciprocity, repealing certificate of need. Um, so absolutely, I think coronavirus reemphasizes the fact that third-party payer systems, whether you're talking about government or whether you're talking about employers is not a, a great idea. And to the, the extent that you can increase competition, to the extent that you can take the shackles off of our uh, healthcare professionals and our hospitals and make sure that they can meet the needs of their, their local populations, that's really important. I think that's what coronavirus as a pandemic has really emphasized throughout. Ryan, has the pandemic changed anything um, from your perspective on this front? Uh, yeah, you know, we did uh, some focus groups on uh, Medicaid expansion and actually asked about the impact of the COVID uh, pandemic. And we found that 99 out of 10 of our focus group per, uh, participants said that Medicaid expansion is even more important in light of, of COVID and over 600,000 Missourians filing for unemployment, that there should be a backup safety net insurance program for those people. Um, well, that's uh, I know that's a, a perspective that a lot of people have. I know there's also another side to this. And, and Patrick, um, you have represented that um, very capably today on our show. So Patrick Ishmael, Director of Government Accountability for the Show Me Institute, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And Ryan Barker, uh, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for the Missouri Foundation for Health. I want to thank you for also sharing your perspective. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.